Hello, everyone, and welcome to Suede's People in Sales, Not Salespeople, where we analyze the person behind the salesperson. Super excited to introduce Max Joseph to you all, founder of Marloid, Marload. Sorry. Uh, Max, <laughs> how you doing? How you doing, man? Great, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Super excited to dive in. You, uh, your story is very unique. Um, and I'm excited to to hear your experience going through through being an SDR, through your your sales experience and starting Marload. Um, but first I want to start at the beginning because you didn't start out as a salesperson. You actually I did not. Yeah. In Peace Corps. So so tell us a bit about your your job before sales. Sure. Yeah. So I graduated from Wittenberg University in 2017. Uh, I got a degree in political science and international studies. And for a long time, thought I wanted to go down the international development route and had a professor in college mentor me and kind of seed that idea in my brain of maybe doing the Peace Corps post-grad was a good idea. And luckily enough, I, I got into the Mongolia cohort and left 10 days after I graduated. So um, I was there from May of 2017 with a brief stint back stateside, but then went back uh, until, uh, August of 2019. Nice. That's incredible. What do you do on the Peace Corps? Yeah. So I worked as a secondary education teacher. Um, while I was there, the first three months I was there, I immersed in, uh, language training. So lived with a family, uh, learned the Mongolian language, which is, uh, the Cyrillic alphabet is the written language. And then Mongolian is this a uh, thousand year old traditional language that dates back to uh, the Chinggis Khan era. Um, so very rich in history. And I, I always enjoyed that component of learning new things. And uh, so I was able to teach English in a small uh, herding village uh, south of the Gobi Desert near the border, border of China. Yeah. And uh, basically had to learn Mongolian in order to teach English. So it was two right. steps backwards in order to go one step forward. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. I'm a big fan of language. Unfortunately, like my brain isn't fit for like the memory it takes to study in language. Unless I feel like I'd be good at it if I was thrown into an environment like you were, where everybody speaks the language and you just have to learn to survive. But, you know, apps like Duolingo or whatever, I'm always I'm always struggling with those, you know. Yeah, no, I I frankly struggled with it in school myself. I studied French for about eight years and never really probably went above any sort of novice level. And I I'm a true believer that in order to like understand a language and its nuance and kind of dive deeper, as well as the cultural component, living in that place is is a quick way to learn because it's your brain quickly switches into this survival mechanism pretty quickly, man. <laughs> <laughs> I got to survive. I got to learn yeah. the language to survive. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's huge, man. I like your, your heart heart with that. My sister taught English in Thailand and China for a little wow. while. Um, yeah. So always jealous of her because she got to travel around the world. So jealous of you too. Um, I'll get there eventually, but okay. So you started in, in Peace Corps um, teaching English and then, and then what happens? Because your next job was um, business and marketing development specialist at Music Max. So tell us about that transition, um, just from a location standpoint and then thought process standpoint. Yeah. So um, after my time in Peace Corps and, and teaching English in Mongolia was coming up, I, I thought maybe I wanted to stay and become like a permanent expat. I'd grown a pretty good network there, and um, actually, funny enough, kind of seated myself within tech communities in Mongolia that's like thriving. And so I think that really first kind of um, 
implanted this idea into my soul and in my brain that maybe tech was a route that I wanted to pursue or even just kind of be interested by. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of life happened between leaving Mongolia and coming home. Uh, and my first job in sales really was working for my family's company, which works in the music industry space as a you know, business development, marketing guy, and really just getting uh, my feet underneath me and, and being very green. It's kind of where I learned to sharpen my sword and, mm -hmm. and kind of see if it was for me. And I think for the longest time, I had this preconceived notion that maybe it wasn't, but through experience and just kind of mentorship, I I'd figured... I, I was interested by this and I wanted to pursue it. And maybe there was still a route for me to to try to join uh, the tech ecosystem after this first initial experience. Right, right. I love that. And uh, a lot of people have that that story, that experience where they're going into sales for the first time. They're thinking, I don't know if this is for me. And then they get into it and they're like, hmm, I'm not really feeling salesy. You know, it's more yeah. about people, right? And they end up liking the drive for one reason or the other. So I like that. But when it comes to... Uh, maybe like a week before you first started your first sales gig, what did you think about sales before actually taking the job? Like what was some of your pre preconceived notions around sales? Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of um, kind of bad publicity, if you will, within the sales profession, especially from a bird's eye view, or if you're you know looking 30,000 feet down. Uh, and I had that notion as well, really like, I think, I didn't see it as a calculated role. Um, and I think what I learned very quickly is how much precision as well as intention it takes to be a really diligent salesperson, as well as, you know, be able to scale within whatever organization you're in really. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was something that I grew sober to very quickly in terms of the amount of diligence, hard work, calculation, preparation it took to, uh, you know, do a job well and, and to grow within that space. Yeah. Yeah, I never really thought about it like that. I like how you put that, you know, realize that it was a calculated role, but there's a lot of uh, science and mathematics and calculations, as you're saying, uh, that go into being a good salesperson. And I forget which sales guru said it, but the, he said the best salespeople know their numbers, right? They know mm -hmm. them really well, they know their pipeline really well, um, and they they do the calculation really well. So that's yeah. that he said that. Um, okay. So business development, marketing, marketing development specialist at Music Max. What all did you learn there? And then tell us about the journey that you took from that job to your next at Path Robotics. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what really stood out to me was just the ability to to foster conversations and to to build pipeline from from scratch at nothing but you know my wit and disposal. Mm -hmm. So this was a time where I didn't really use a tech stack in my daily implementation to kind of make uh, a salesperson's job easier. It was a lot of you know traditional uh, old school sales, if you will, where a lot of submitting PO orders, getting on the phones, um, those sorts of things that I think really honed in my skills that instilled this belief in me that again, maybe I could go work for a really cool startup and and learn something there and grow. Um, so I was just really green man. And I think, um, had a few life things happen, got married. Um, my wife and I found out we were having a kiddo. So it kind of throttled this whole, uh, fire in me to, to pursue this and, and to try frankly, because, um, I think I was always consumed by the fear of trying for, for a long time. And I kind of like just wash that out in, you know, my own unique way to, to allow me to, um, you know, go work there and, 
I think it was really right place, right time and really grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge, man. The, the fear of jumping in can, um, can definitely stop a lot of people. And in my journey, it's usually the opposite. I usually just yeah. head first and then I get <laughs> later on. <laughs> but I, I think there's a, a, a lot of wisdom in being balanced in both, right? There's pros and cons of trying something new, especially if that's not something that you've done before or learned before. Um, but you did it. You jumped in, you, you started uh, processing, <laughs> you started cold calling, you started emailing, right? And that's been your life thus far. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> no. Know? I mean, I've, I've, I've struggled with paralysis by analysis for, for a long time. And I mean, still to, to this day, I think we all inherently have those in our whatever ways in our life. Um, but yeah, I just, again, like, I feel like that's something I've had to unlearn and, and kind of be more like you, Matt, where I'm, I'm jumping head first in and, and figure bu building the plane as I'm flying it, as they would say. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, as like tears come down. By <laughs> yeah. Don't look behind you. Don't look behind you. Yeah. <laughs> it's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. No yeah. one way we have, but that's okay. Uh, all right, cool. So you mentioned a little bit about prospecting. Tell us about your journey, um, understanding what it takes and what it's like to prospect, specifically like building lists and generating mm -hmm. customers. Like what have you learned um, throughout your experience in, in regards to that? Yeah, I mean, I would first say just trial and error kind of led to this current methodology that I try to implore not only in my business, but the businesses that we consult and individuals that come to us and, you know, want to learn something or even if it's just a peer-to-peer -peer advice. Um, I think prospecting doesn't need to be this complicated science, right? Like I think earlier I was talking about uh, the calculation that is involved within being a salesperson. But if you can kind of just hammer down a few main tenants into your daily rituals, that will make your life a heck of a lot easier in terms of you know fulfilling that pipeline and growing that pipeline. So the way I've prospected and the way, you know, frankly, I evangelize prospecting is really utilizing uh, a simple tech stack. You know, for us, we we use Apollo.io um, and then a CRM that we implement. And then we just take uh, certain criteria from our clients uh, and really just take that and run with it. And so what I mean is, you know, we try to find qualifying questions that would align to uh, what kind of person our client would want to do business with and ultimately just build lists off of that. Um, and I think one thing that I, I don't think has been conveyed too well, generally within the SDR community and what we're trying to grow and pontificate on even further is like what passes the eye test, right? Like there's a feeling component to this that I don't think people discuss enough about. Um, the EQ bar needs to be raised higher in terms of, you know, when I'm looking at a company's website for, two minutes, does it align to uh, the ICP or the criteria of which I'm trying to fulfill for my client or past organizations that I've worked with, right? So I think that's something that we've tried to develop more so, you know, visually, how is it applying to what we're trying to sell? And ultimately, does it pass that test that allows us to go further and maybe make that first initial cold call or put them into a sequence for seven days mm -hmm. that warrants really our time? So I think those are some big, you know, tenants in terms of what I try to fulfill prospecting day in and day out. And now it's like a muscle, you know, you just, once you've built it, it, it just feels like you can turn your brain off while doing it and you know what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, 
but but it took me a long time, man. And I'm always trying to get better every day. And I feel like there's been a lot of good people been put in my life who have shown me ways that they've done it, you know, hacks, if you will, mm-hmm. and also really just simplified the process for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer, like I was saying, and this is a quickly, uh, you know, really prospecting is a, it's a simplified art. You just got to finite it. Yeah. You just got to find out. I really like the high IQ, high EQ approach that you were mentioning before, because a lot of times organizations want to just spray and pray, right? It's yep. like, all right, yeah. let's go on Apollo.io, LinkedIn sales nav, seamless, one of the, the list building uh, tools, type in one filter constraint uh, mm-hmm. and then copy the whole thing and send out a whole bunch of emails and let's just pray, you know, and that's yeah. not how it works. And then like, I think every organization does that, right? And it takes that like trial and error component to kind of learn and reiterate. And I've done that myself. And mm-hmm. I think I found success by kind of rep or kind of taking components of that spray and pray method, but also like zeroing it in and saying, okay, this is what we're going to focus on. Right, exactly. And there's no, there's no silver bullet to this. There's going to be uh, nuances per industry, per company. You, 100%. Can't, you can't just take a template you got off HubSpot and a strategy you heard from some sales guru and, and implement it. You really got to think about it. Mm-hmm. I was talking to someone the other day. He was he was thinking about insourcing or outsourcing sales. And he was like, I'm just going to insource because I don't have any control when I outsource. I'm like, okay, well, what's your strategy? He's like, man, I just want to send out 2,000 emails every month and just maybe <laughs> get one meeting a month. That I'd be happy with one meeting a month. I was like, what what are we doing here? <laughs> Excuse what? me, what'd you say? Yeah, <laughs> I was taken aback. So, at, as you think about your career as an SDR and a salesperson, when it comes to setting goals, setting realistic goals and outreach, how do you think about that? What's reasonable when you think about setting goals? Well, I think it's natural to to overextend, right? Like over promise on what you can deliver, either if you're a full time person or if you're working with a client. Um, I think, especially if there's a relationship there, you want to set these lofty goals. Um, or if you're trying to make uh, an impression on an organization and you want to scale within that organization, you you have a high parameter. Um, so I think what we do is really try to assess like what is attainable and follow the historical data. Mm-hmm. Um, I may sound like everybody else here, but I think the data component of this really enables <clears throat> what you can do in the future and what has been done already. So I think that's how we set our goals a lot of the time uh, in terms of like, what can we accomplish for this quarter and comparative, what did we accomplish last quarter? Mm-hmm. And we correlate that to, you know, the volume of which, you know, emails we send, new leads that we've generated, meetings that we've set, you know, how can we keep building that, but also uh, not strain ourselves in, in the whole process of it all. Um, you know, we're building that foundation, but ultimately we don't want to get burned out by putting a window in at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are some like kind of loose methodologies I try to implore in terms of setting goals and, and, and having a relationship with that person within the organization to kind of make it a two way street. So that way we say, Hey, like we know what you're operating with and what level of urgency you're consumed by. And we're going to take that into our daily work and, and, and scale upon it. Gotcha. I like that a lot. I, um also agree with the fact that you have to look at the past and predict predict the future um mm-hmm. you're doing 
a hundred outreaches every month and you book two meetings a month, uh, you know, potentially if you did 200 outreaches next month, you could, you could potentially get four and do some of that, um, uh, back of the napkin math there. So mm -hmm. big, yeah. big nap back of the napkin math guy here. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. it's huge. And when it comes to expectations, so say someone has never done outreach before, uh, I'm curious as to what what would you expect someone who's new to to sending out emails? We'll start with emails first and then go to cold calls. What would you expect yeah. their open rate be, their reply rate be, kind of some of these some of these metrics around uh, booking meetings over email? Like what what do you think is average? I would say. Oh, gosh, I mean, I mean, it really just depends on industry, man. And and what I say uh, to a lot of different folk is it, these things take time, and you probably know it as well as I do, Matt. Um, the foundational tools that it takes to put in place in order to, to create like constant cadence of outbound, um, I think at least takes 90 days. So um, I, that's really when you can start seeing, you know, consistent, uh, you know, two to three, five to six, seven to 10 meetings a week, whatever your metric is, right, internally for your organization or for any organization. Um, I, I, I usually preach like, you know, patience is key in this component. Um, use a lot of different tools and dispose of those tools quickly that don't add value. I think we get set in the set of tools that we use daily, whether it be a monetary commitment that we've put into them or either um, that have been preached internally. And if they're not working, man, I mean, that's the beauty of them, right? There's like a hundred others. So let's try them. I think having that mindset in terms of like, okay, this isn't working. Let's reiterate, whether it be a tool or um, a piece of copy or the value proposition isn't really aligning to the industry. I think those are things you got to reiterate really quickly upon those first 90 days in order to understand after that 90 days, okay, how can we scale upon this and keep consistent meetings generating per month? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. The last company that I worked for where I was the head of outreach, we did a lot of cool experimentations. Yeah. So try it out. Phantom Buster, try it out. Meet Alfred, try it out. Yep. <laughs> you know, Apollo.io. And, and it was interesting to see um, the pros and cons of each, the the setup time of each, and, and um, just like what, what you can learn from each. Now, you do have to stick with the tool for probably like a month before you really understand its full value because you need to, to understand the learning curve of, of using the tool. But I definitely think as long as there's a hypothesis, hey, this tool will get me here faster, mm -hmm. better, more quality conversation, test it out on an Excel sheet somewhere and then actually measure things. Um, so I think that's good for sure. Yeah, no, I, uh, and I, I, I learned this through really just my own experience, right? Like sticking with the tool probably for too long that I wanted there to be value. Right. But at the end of the day, it didn't really provide value to what I was doing. And so ultimately I had to make that decision to go, Hey, this is something I wish I would have done in the past. That probably would probably would have helped me a bit more. So I think, yeah, man, you're, you're spot on and you probably are a bit more articulate than I am. I'm just like, okay, next thing, you know, move on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably too data driven, man, as a software developer. And uh... <laughs> I love it, man. We need, we need those people in the world, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's interesting because there's a lot of data in conversations and obviously that's where Suede gets its roots from is understanding who you're about to talk to, uh, why they could be interested in that and really crafting a blueprint for your cold calls and analyzing a whole bunch of stuff uh, to, to allow you to have quality conversations.
But I think it's interesting. There's, there's definitely a big science to sales uh, as well as the art. Um, speaking of science of sales, and let's stick with email. Do you have do you have an email template? I know we just bashed on templates, but do you have an email strategy, email template that you use um, to you know create great crafted emails for sales? Yeah, uh, the first thing I would say, man, um, is is less is more when it comes to emails. You know, I think you probably get bombarded much more than I do from uh, other outbound folks who are trying to sell you something and convey a value proposition, but ultimately are probably writing a short novel. Um, and understandably, right? Because I think everybody is so excited from what they're trying to share. Uh, and I try to hold empathy with those people in terms of, you know, what what they're putting out there. But I think less is more in terms of copy of what you put out there. Um, personalization is a big thing that I try to implore in all of my templates at, at whatever level I can. Um, and then typically value proposition and the void of why that value proposition would make sense for X company mm -hmm. are, are typically things that I try to solve within two paragraphs. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we do have templates. Uh, I would say every industry is different in terms of what templates do work and what templates don't work. But in an age where you try to drown out the noise, <clears throat> everybody sends the same generic thing. I think there's a lot of power and in individuality and personalization this day. Yeah. Yeah. And just trying something new. Um, I remember back when I was working at a company called Apollos, we mm -hmm. did a ton of A-B tests around subject line. And really? it's crazy how uh, it was a 20% difference, an open rate with a subject line that just said, hey, and then the person's name rather than like anything else, anything yeah. related to the value proposition related to this. So you, you speak about personalization, but they just say, Hey name. And, and they're like, Oh, <laughs> <There's> <laughs> I mean, rate. I mean, man, oh, you could, I mean, open rates are, are crazy. Like in terms of, um, and forgive me, I don't think I answered your question earlier regarding like open rates from, from when you initially start those campaigns, like, I've seen individualization emails, you know, campaigns go anywhere between above 50%, especially if you take your time and due diligence to, to look for, uh, you know, something of what your prospect may be interested by. Mm -hmm. um, I had a prospect in Nebraska uh, that I reached out to. Uh, I'm a pretty big college football guy. And so I took a gamble on this, you know, example here, but Dylan Riola was the top recruit that was supposed to go to Georgia initially committed, I believe to Ohio state, but kind of has flopped around. Um, but Georgia land or excuse me, Nebraska landed him. So I said in my email subject, like Dylan Riola to Nebraska question mark and made this thing like, Hey, I don't know if you're a Husker fan uh, stoked that y'all have this player. Um, I'm a Buckeye fan. He was supposed to come here, but glad you got him and excited. Nebraska football is, on the upswing again. And I booked three meetings off that email, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty surreal. Um, uh -huh. Sports is a language, man. Outside. Yeah. I was so, um, yeah, I think those things are powerful, especially as you're establishing, you know, a, a new, a new outbound motion for a young organization. Mm -hmm. uh, again, sound like a broken record. Personalization is key in this day. Yeah, and being different, just like you were yeah. saying. 
try and try and find something new. Don't be like every other salesperson out there who's sending you, you send you the generic emails. And if you need uh, help understanding what the generic emails sound like, literally check your inbox because I'm sure you've gotten a ton of them in yeah. the past week. Um, yeah. What, it, out of curiosity, what I'm just not since I'm on this riff here, but is are there any ones that have stuck out in your head that maybe you've like entertained a product that added a personalization component or maybe knew some nuance either about the product or yourself that I've gotten in my inbox. Yeah. There haven't. I, I definitely judge every single cold email that I've gotten in my inbox. As you, as you should. So <laughs> who, who's ever about, listed? Do you want a hundred thousand yeah. dollars? And I'm like, obviously, but not from you, lady. <laughs> I don't know who you are. <laughs> you seem a little fishy. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't I haven't entertained a cold email or a cold call. Um, so who's ever listening to this, just remember when you send Matt a cold email, personalization, he will say yes to whatever you're trying to sell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, personalization is <laughs> key. Not for me. Yeah, I, and it's an I'm I'm in a position right now in my business where I do have a lot of problems, but not a lot of revenue. So it's not yeah. like obtain a new product or uh, start a new conversation. Uh, so, yeah, I'm sure as Dude, business, bro, right? Yeah, it's like that. I'm so stoked for Suede Man. It's such a cool, unique tool. And um, shout out to Corey Myers who who connected us. I actually got coffee with him here in Columbus this morning. So. I'm just really excited to see y'all grow, man. Like, yeah, I was just talking to Corey the other day. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's been helping me out a lot. So shout out to Corey for sure. Um, and speaking of cold calls, speaking of Suede, we can dive into cold calls real quick. Uh, would love to understand your feelings of cold calls at the beginning. Um, did Did you start cold calling when your first BDR job at Music Max, or was it not? I tried, man, but I was not good at it. I uh, <laughs> kind of going back to paralysis by analysis. I I would get this wall about a minute in and did not know where to go. And in hindsight, didn't really have the fortitude or or really just understanding to really like grow up on that skill. And I think it's one of those things where you just you don't get enough reps at bat, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I really didn't do it until like my first real tech job SDR role experience where. I was making sometimes 200 calls plus a week. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And in that, so you got the first SDR job, making 200, 200 calls a week. How long did it take for you to book your first meeting over the phone? Um, I remember it well. Uh, trading more stories here, right? Uh, I think, man, it was actually the first or second week with a pretty cool company. And um had a really cool mentor, my manager of mine at the time, walk me through it and was really diligent and helped me convert the meeting. So I think it was the it was the first two weeks, man, that mm -hmm. I from like, you know, first learning how to talk to somebody on the phone and communicating a value prop to to hey, want to have a longer discussion about this? Mm -hmm. So um yeah, that's kind of how I got into it, if you will, in terms of like growing that skill and <clears throat> I'm a huge believer in cold calls. Like I, I think it's, it's not going away. Um, you know, I think uh, the people who do answer their phones genuinely want to have conversations with you more times than not. And so I just try to ride that wave and, and ride that momentum and 
exert just like positive energy when I'm having a conversation with somebody. So, um, especially in an age where kind of correlating back to like emails, our conversation earlier, uh, you know, I know Google <clears throat> is going to be shutting down a lot of accounts this year and kind of like people who are doing high volume, I think may have a harder time converting. So I think you'll see a lot of organizations if they hadn't already revert back to cold calling and, and regardless of whatever industry they're in. So, so big believer of that as well. For sure. And what do you think about that? Uh, what, what Google and Outlook are shutting down on? Yeah. I mean, I mean, from what I've read, <clears throat> And it's kind of funny, all the hacks that have kind of developed from this, where you see companies getting like 10 domains and splicing and A-B testing all of them. Um, I think it makes sense if you're an earlier organization. Um, but, you know, I understand why they're doing it. I get it. I mean, there is a lot of spam out there in the world. Um, but I think what it probably comes down to is just communicating a value proposition better to kind of advert, you know, being put into a spam filter or or getting a unsubscribe button mm. um probably years of mass list led to uh led to this moment here we are today but <clears throat> i think it's a great way for people to adapt and for people to hone in on their skills and for tools like yours and other ai tools to, to be developed to, to help sdrs and sales professionals um mm. you know mitigate that risk and 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 still be really successful at what they do yeah i I think that Apollo, Seamless, LinkedIn Navigator have all made it very nice and easy for us to get people's emails. Um, mm -hmm. There are a lot of abusers of that who mm -hmm. stopped personalizing, as we were talking about before, and just, again, one filter. Okay, their title is business. Great. Let's send them an email. <laughs> right? And yeah. it's enabled people to send four or 5,000 emails every single week and, and day actually and, and, and spray and pray like we were talking about before. So I actually like, I like the the cut down on, on some of that. LinkedIn has started that a little bit by saying you can only connect with 200 people every single week. I'm less liking that than the email thing, but I think mm -hmm. the less spam we can, we can get the better because that, that forces people to become more personalized and the more personalized you are, personalized you are, the uh the more more business you'll, you'll get and the, the less people the less time uh you'll waste of others so i think that's yeah 100 man no i think um it'll be interesting to see when do you know when the like the official i think it was like april or something like that maybe it was earlier in the year of, of when, yeah oh no i'm, Arm I'm armageddon right, I'm right yeah. literally follow yeah. <laughs> and they're they, they got this whole red red block that's like only send 400 emails a day yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, and and I'm thinking about doing the whole domain thing. Um, I know you gotta set up your something, something the DMS, DNS servers to um uh, not get not get flagged or anything like that. Mm -hmm. so, well, mm. You know any of that science? Can you can you school me on any of that science? Yeah, I, I had to. Well, I only know as much as I know, truthfully. So there's probably somebody who knows a lot more. Um. But yeah, I, uh, there's a really cool service called Allegro. They're, I don't know if you've interfaced with them. Um, they're based out of the Austin area and they kind of provide, um, basically if you're doing high volume of emails, they kind of allow emails back into your inbox <clears throat> that now, that basically allow equal playing field. Um, it's a really interesting, simple tool, truthfully, but 
there's a lot of other services like that, but the DNS configuration component, um, you have to hook it up manually and, and truthfully, man, I just followed the YouTube videos, like <laughs> trial, trial and error. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm sit, sitting in my office being like, what am I doing wrong? And then finally <laughs> it's like, I, I like, I don't know, develop something super cool. You know, you, for me, who's not a developer who has no technical ability in that area, it feels like I just like coded some masterpiece when I just like copy and pasted, right? <laughs> DH name or whatever, and you're like, it's green. <laughs> yeah. It's working. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I, I know there's a lot of different uh certificates or whatever you can get for your DNS to to allow it to get through various servers and stuff like that. I have not gone down the route because I'm not a big fan of email. I just do LinkedIn and cold call. Um, and I'm able to book two to three, two to three meetings a day. I'm not a day, that'd be crazy. A a week, um, with probably reaching out to 20 to 30. People, uh, businesses in my target market. That's awesome, man. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So what yeah. do you, do you have a percentage right now that you split that by, or is it more just like riding the wave of whatever media is working better? Um, percentage as far as I do both as far as like the, the medium. Yeah. Or like, is it 50, like just generically, is it 50%, you know, LinkedIn converts into meetings, 50% cold calls, or are you, again, like, are you just kind of riding that wave of momentum i feel like i do that a lot like if i'm doing well on cold calling i'm going to stick with cold calling for the remainder of the day or etc because my energy is focused in this one place right now mm -hmm. that's that's good so far it seemed like if i'm reaching out to a c-suite or a high 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 level manager um mm -hmm. it has been a better conversion than wow but if i'm doing uh, cold calls, I can book managers uh, or team leads, SDR team leads pretty quickly over cold call. Um, and, it, and it took me a couple iterations on message to get the right one, to get the right type of message, right? My, mm -hmm. my cold call around AI and sales, and there's tons of different value propositions I have from building good culture to more, more uh, uh, quantity meetings booked and quality of conversations, all this stuff. But I just went and rode the AI wave. I was like, hey, have you ever thought about AI and cold calling? But let's talk. <laughs> and people are, yes. CEOs of businesses are like, yes, yeah. <laughs> hot topic right now. So that's another thing around messaging. Like sometimes you just ride the wave, even, even if you feel basic. Yeah. No, momentum is everything, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I did want to ask when you booked your first meeting, your first cold call uh, meeting, yeah. what? I'll back up. I did a presentation for a company I just onboarded. And I say, <laughs> you are in the way of your customers understanding the value a meeting can have for them. You as the SDR picking up the phone are in the way of that value. Because if you sound too salesy, if you come off with the wrong message, they're just going to think, oh, I'm here to, they, they just want to sell me something. They're going to waste my time. They don't know me, right? So you are in the way of that. And there's strategies and tactics that, you know, I would love to dive in uh, with you and just how, how do salespeople um, can they effectively convey uh, uh, the value of a meeting over the phone and not get in the way of the customer understanding that? So what do you think? Yeah, I love that, man. Um, I think, you know, and, and kind of meandering around your question and maybe forgive me if I'm kind of all over the place with, with how I answer this, but, you know, I think <clears throat> one way that I've kind of grown that skill in terms of communicating uh, a value proposition and ultimately converting into a meeting um, 
kind of goes back to those tenants I was sharing earlier of, you know, having a high emotional intelligence in that phone call. Mm -hmm. um, that first 30 seconds is everything when somebody answering their phone, whether it be their personal cell phone. And, and I'm a big believer, Matt, I don't know if you are, of calling people cell phones. Um, if I want to go direct to the source, I'm going to go direct to the source, especially like C-suite executives. So their time's valuable and I want to be respectful of their time. And, and ultimately, you know, what I want to communicate is like, hey, like try to be, break down that first wall that is, you know, the awkwardness and ultimately like try to establish some rapport and relationship there. Mm -hmm. um, and then ask, you know, like, hey, like what are your initiatives this year for X? Uh, a pretty loose question or, hey, what's going on with, um, you know, maybe a new investment that you're looking at? And, and a lot of times people will have emotional responses. So I think that emo emotional intelligence often can be streamlined into the emotional intelligence on the other side of the person of the call. Because if you're going straight to the emotional part where like, oh gosh, yeah, well, let me tell you this for five minutes, like that is gold, man. And ultimately... I think more times than none, you're able to facilitate longer conversations, um, have them build trust in you and make you come off as genuine as you are, because I'm a firm believer people can smell when people aren't being genuine, especially on cold calls. And I think <clears throat> when I am not genuine or if I feel rushed or if I just am having a bad day, uh, I oftentimes reflect like, man, like, yeah, I was coming off too salesy or... I wasn't doing what I believe in. Mm -hmm. So I think those are our key components in terms of like, you know, how you can generate meetings from facilitating conversation and trust and relationships in those way. And ultimately uh, communicating the value of what you would bring and, and just simply say like, I'm here to help, right? Like I'm not here to, to sell you something. I'm here to help. Mm -hmm. uh, I think those are simple tenants that I try to implore day in and day out when, when talking to essentially strangers on the phone. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. and also being able to, and also being able to reflect how you can be better. I think that's a huge component too. Like if you're just doing the same thing and it's not working and you have the inability to, to reflect, um, much like you said, you were reiterating, you know, your talk tracks or your value proposition. I think that is crucial, crucial in mm -hmm. terms of driving value, um, holding the brand's equity, and I, I like the term brand equity because usually when you represent an organization, like you as a salesperson are that brand. And so if they have a bad interaction with you for, for whatever reason, they're going to think like, oh, Max from X company, no, right? Yeah. So it, it truly matters in the beginning. And hopefully that answers your question. And, and those are some things that kind of like exist in my head daily as I'm like 20 calls in and it's new and then. And you're like, I don't know if I got this in me for two more hours, you know? <laughs> I would definitely agree with that. You have to, how do I say this the right way? Because being genuine and the confidence slash authenticity of the tone of your voice is important. Um, and you want to truly believe the word you're saying and not mm -hmm. read a script and just read the script to read the script. Mm -hmm. You have to understand the value you can offer the person on the other end of the phone and truly just speak to that. And it comes off in your tone. And as I said, mm -hmm. you can be in the way of your customer uh, understanding the value of a meeting if your tone is scripted, if your tone mm -hmm. is salesy, as you say. Um, and I was also listening to 
uh, one of my favorite cold calling YouTube influencers. And when it comes to, to, to feeling rushed on the phone, he said, if you feel rushed on the phone, you are the person rushing the conversation because you are nervous, right? Yeah. The other person isn't rushing. You're the one rushing. So after I kind of like flipped that mindset, I'm like, I'm just not going to rush anymore. And like, let's just have a conversation. I know I'm calling you out the blue, but you picked up. No, you're not in a meeting. And that's okay that you just lied to me, but can I get 30 seconds of your time? Yeah. <laughs> you pick up the phone of a random number when you're in a meeting. You know what I'm saying? Like things like that, that you just intuitively understand um, by changing by changing your mindset. Um, but from a practicality standpoint, do you have any best opening lines for a cold call? That's a great question. Um, and I don't know if I have an answer for it because I feel like I just ride that wave, man. I think the best way you can open up a cone call is, is really just try to establish a relationship. Um, you know, essentially be like, Hey Matt, how you doing today? What's going on in your world? Um, and then just say, I want to be respectful of your time. You know, I'm calling from X. Um, tell me a bit more what's about going on here this year. And, and again, people are pretty responsive to like one being respective of their time, but ultimately like taking 10 seconds to to try to have rapport or feel like, you know, somebody like, well, you know, I think that's, that's really important and hopefully sticks out to people when I specifically try to call them. So hope those are good practices I try to put in place. That's huge. I, I know it's not, I think those are specific, specific tactics to, mm -hmm. You say build rapport, but to start the conversation with uh, the place of like, hey, we're both humans. Let's let's get to know each other for a little bit. And then let me tell you why I'm calling. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that you understand, that I understand, that your time is to re be respected. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. you know, kind of have that social contract at the beginning and then dive into, dive into the conversation. I think that's huge. Yeah, the uh, social contract is such a huge thing. And I think it creates equal business stature right from out of the get-go, right? Like um, you can devalue what you're saying if you, if you don't establish your roots in terms of the social contract and also um, equating that, you know, my time is as you, or my time um, shouldn't be wasted and your time shouldn't be wasted, you know? I, and that's something I say a lot, like, look, especially when somebody's saying, well, I'll get back to you or let's follow up via email and confirm a time. And I go, Hey Matt, like out of respect of your time and mine, I let's put a time down here as a placeholder. And then if we need to move it around, we can. And I think, again, that's a great way of kind of saying, Hey, we're here to do business. We're equals. And I trust you, you trust me and let's make this happen. Yeah. Yeah. And getting people to, to say what they really mean is important. And just something mm -hmm. I, I thought of when you said that. Because a lot of times when people say, send me an email, what does that mean? No, but they didn't say yep. no, they said, send me an email. So if there's that slight sliver in your prospect's mind that there could be a chance of this going somewhere. Let's respect my time as a salesperson and not let me, you know, go and try and chase you all over the place. Um, so I think that's, that's big too. When I cold call, I have iterated my script a lot and starting off with just a, hi, Max, how are you? Or hi Max, this is Matt Terry with Suede. How are you? That a lot of people are like I'm I'm good. How are you? Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I'm like I'm good. Thanks for asking. I'm calling you because you're the title of this company. This is what I do. And then I have a I have a question that I ask, and we kind of riff on that. And if it makes sense, we book a meeting. Simple as that. Easy, easy. 
quick and easy. And it took me a while to get back to my roots because I used to cold call a lot. And I just started again a couple of weeks ago. Um, got a couple of no's, got a couple of push-offs. And I'm like, man, how do I do this? <laughs> I'm like, I forgot what it, what it feels like. My first call was like super, super salesy. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, am I good at this anymore? And, I, and then I just kind of changed the mindset again after reading some some articles and watching some YouTube, just changed the mindset. You're here to help. That's yeah. It. I mean, that's the beautiful thing, man, is we're all human and we have good days. We have bad days. Even the, the best salespeople struggle at times. And um, I think that gives me a lot of energy, truthfully, knowing that there's ebbs and flows. And um, some days you asked me that question earlier, what was it like booking your first cold call? There are some days where I'm like, I feel like the first time I ever called somebody, right? <laughs> yeah, that's and true. It, it, it's a humbling uh, art that, you know, really, I'm really grateful in, that instills, you know, humility and tenacity and, and grit and, and fortitude. Mm -hmm. Definitely agree. I my, I was lucky. I was fortunate. I was fortunate that my first day of cold calling ever, I both got hung up on and booked a meeting. Oh, man. You are a <laughs> case study there. I love it. <laughs> yep. I read Fanatical Prospecting. I made my scripts, made one call, the most salesy call I've ever made, just got hung up on. And then I probably called three, three or four more people picked up, failed, but I iterated my message on every single one. So I didn't try that same thing. Then the last one, I think was like six o'clock. And I promised myself internally, I'm not going to leave until I book a meeting. That was like my energy. I'm like, all right, man, let's just keep going. <laughs> okay. Like I should not be here at the office right now, but I'm going to book a meeting. It was like 6 p.m. I did my thing and booked a meeting with really with a really large church. I was selling, selling to churches. It was probably like one of the fastest growing churches in the nation, actually. Really? Wow. Uh, and booked a meeting at TC Church in, in okay. California. Uh, booked the meeting and I was like, let's go. <laughs> Let me go. Dude. Yeah. Isn't that poetic though? I mean, that's, that's how it works. I mean, that's such a cool story. Like you get to share that forever. Powerful. Thank you. Thank you. It just, it shows um, that you got to have grit and also self-awareness because if people are saying mm -hmm. no, up, you got to really think, think in their shoes. Like they just got called. They just heard me. Uh, what did I, what did I say wrong? Um, what can I tell by the gaps or the hesitations of in their voice? right? Mm -hmm. Change my approach to this. So, mm -hmm. okay. We got 10 minutes here. Let's dive into the Marload. I know we, we didn't really dive into that, but oh, I, good, man. yeah. I, tell us about the origins of Marload. How'd you start it? Yeah. So, um, Marload is a, a fractional sales development and marketing agency, uh, that is specifically aimed for, you know, young startups, both series A, a pre-seed and series B. Uh, and no specific order there, I just realized. Um, but really what we're trying to provide at the highest value is um, generating pipeline for companies that either have a zero to five sales rep. So we could be that fifth sales rep that's being supplemented or be that first one that kind of comes in, establishes um, you know, credibility and outbound cadences. And, and really what I like to think of it is, you know, we're building a house. So we build that foundation, um, build block by block, window by window. And ultimately, at the end of however long you're with us, we want to hand you the keys to a, a pretty sweet house that you can live within. And that being, you know, we put pipeline in in a CRM for you, um, hopefully one, a deal or two, uh, prospected so much. So you just have a fulfilled pipeline of new leads forever. And then ultimately, like, honed in on what your ICP was. So uh, we've just recently started doing social media uh 
kind of social media strategy, social media management, where we're working with a few different companies where basically we run their socials, Instagram and LinkedIn, um, Facebook X, and we kind of uh, strategize around that. And it's a new offering of ours that we found is parallel to, you know, the other offering of sales development. And, and the Genesis man really came from, um, just kind of my experience in startups and and kind of having these head scratching moments where thinking to myself, there's got to be more sustainable solutions to allocating capital towards uh, either talent or specifically within teams. Um, you know, having worked for a few different startups, and I think you know it as well as I do too, like um, a lot of times there's hyper growth and then there's uh, the de-escalation of growth without really any intermediate services that help, you know, provide that. So I think we wanted to come in and foster credibility and to say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do something that would cost a fraction of the cost. Um, I think has really resonated with a lot of the startups and companies that we're working with right now. And, and ultimately I think will propel us here in the future. And truthfully um, I'm sure, as you know, too, like, Fractional work is, is very trendy at the moment, right? So there's a myriad of agencies that are being birthed out of this. Uh, but we want to stick out just by the work that we deliver on and, and who we align ourselves with and ultimately, um, you know, be a boutique sales agency that scales uh, respectfully and, uh, you know, delivers really high quality work. So uh, that is the genesis of what Marlowe came to be and, and where we are right now. The company is eight months old. And just feel really grateful to be in the spot that we're in. Um, yeah. And I've been full time in it, man. So it's it's humbling each day being a business owner and and learning new things. And you know, my skills were in marketing and sales. And I have a few strategic advisors who are from different parts of you know the business world, all respectfully within their own place. And they have just drilled it in my my head and, and taught me different things. So uh, again, it, it's been humbling and exciting and it fires me up each day to like be in the position that I am. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for walking us through that. And there's, there's a lot of advantages to outsourcing. Um, there's, there's um, the cost advantage and also mm -hmm. the time advantage, not only from hiring different SDRs, if you want to insource, but also training and coaching and understand how to coach and train and uh, uh, build an actual sales team. Because if you don't understand sales, and you hire a salesperson and just tell them to go sell without really knowing what that means, there's going to be a culture issue down the line. So yeah. that's why it's great to, to outsource to a firm like yours um, who's been there and done that specifically with startups. That's the thing I'll say next. There are not a lot of outsourced SDR firms. And I talked to a lot of them. There's not a lot who understand how to serve a startup. Mm -hmm. Some of these medium and enterprise businesses that outsource, they... <clears throat> Um, they have a brand established. They have previous customers. They probably have a message they know that works because they've sold a customer before. But with a startup who is potentially just had their seed round, no customers, they just have money and you know a dream, they don't understand the message that's really going to resonate. And there's right. a A-B test playbook that I'm sure you have mastered since you've been an SDR in many different startups, but it's different. It's a different strategy. It's a different approach. Uh, to creating uh, to creating funnel in an outbound sales in a startup than it is medium enterprise. Mm -hmm. Totally agree, man. Yeah, um, I think we've learned that just through trial and error too. And uh, we've kind of assumed 
and, and what I really like about this too, in terms of the companies that we work with and the companies we're trying to work with too, is how we're telling them, you know, we can be a player coach, I think, which is a really valuable skill. So a lot of companies want to keep things inside and we totally understand and respect that. And it makes sense to most people. Um, but what if there was a way we could do 50, 50, right? Like you hire a guy or, or, or whoever, right. Um, come in and we can build them up teach them, especially if they're young and green in their career, we can teach them these skills. You don't have to hire an SDR manager. So think of us as the second SDR, but also the manager that, you know, builds up this person within your organization who can deliver great value for you too. So we've really been enjoying that component in terms of, you know, fostering culture and fostering uh, the ability to lean on each other and, and help people within the organization and build camaraderie. Um, I think those are things we're trying to pack a, package up in which we have uh, mm -hmm. that hopefully, you know, separate us from a lot of the other noise within the space. And um, like you said, try, trying to serve startups, uh, this problem isn't going away. And so we're, we're, we're hell bent on solving it and, and helping kind of going when I was back to what I was saying earlier, like here to help in whatever way we can. Right. Right. Yeah. I really like that a lot. And you do bring me to one of the last questions I wanted to ask you. Uh, was is it's around building a good culture in sales. Do you have any tidbits, any nuggets around how you build a good culture in a sales team? Yeah, I think what we try to implore in our organization, specifically with the people I have around me, um, you know, my co-founder, uh, Akila Anif and I are, are big believers in this, that, you know, I think a lot of organizations overcomplicate the cultural, the cultural component in terms of how to make a sales team thrive and work. And so I think what some of our big tenants just internally and in how we act to some of our clients is, you know, treat people with respect, um, be kind, be diligent, be thoughtful, um, present solutions, not problems. And at the same time, um, try to establish trust by building a relationship like you would for a prospect. I think the organizations I've thrived really well in and I've seen that have thrived specifically have had those tenants of, you know, um, allowing people to, to be who they are, uh, but at the same time, you know, bring their skill set to the team and, and allow and kind of building that camaraderie component just by allowing people to be kind and be thoughtful and, and lift each other up. Um, I think it's super important, man. It's super important, especially for a young startup. And you can see teams that like, you know, I've been a part of teams before where we all go bowling on on a Thursday night uh, together, so you know, fun. yeah, um, yeah. and we're and we're talking about prospecting while we're bowling. Like <laughs> that shouldn't happen in real life, but it did, right? And I think it came from those tenants that I'm really grateful that I was shown uh, young in my career, and ultimately that we're trying to convey in our organization as well. I like that. I I feel like I sometimes overcomplicate how to build a good culture because. Mm -hmm on my heart i really want to make sure my employees are feel cared for and there you know is just trust um, and drive within it but sometimes i've learned that you just have to leave space for conversations and space for culture to grow mm -hmm. you know you don't have to force anything there's no specific exercise or icebreaker that that really solidifies good culture it's just like recognizing it and letting people kind of vibe together um and go out bowling <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean stuff like that works man or or like you know or or something that kind of builds that camaraderie component or that allows people to see 
what your outside life is like. You know, for me, a huge thing is, you know, I'm a dad and I'm a husband. So um, I'm, I'm pretty transparent about sharing that with people. And it's cool to like see other people that have families or that are really passionate about something that they do in their own life, or maybe they're really involved in their church. Um, you know, I, I want to lift those people up too. And ultimately that's what Marlo's trying to do with within building our own culture. And I think the cultures that I, again, that I've seen within sales organizations have, have really thrived in ecosystems like that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Last couple of questions. I, I like to everybody on the podcast. One, what does it take to be a, a good salesperson? Be humble, be thoughtful, be tenacious, have tenat or be tenacious, uh, have fortitude. And at the end of the day, just remember you're human and, and try to help. I think those are great tenants and, and great ideologies to live by to be a great salesperson. Agreed. And then how can people get in contact contact with you and see your content? Sure. Yeah. Um, so we're Marlowed on uh on LinkedIn, M-A-R-L-O-W-E-D. Um you can follow us there. I'm Max Joseph on LinkedIn. I'm pretty responsive on there and, uh, you know, happy to connect with whoever. And I, I really enjoy getting to meet people. And, um, again, met Matt just not too long ago. I feel like we're really good friends, man. You, your energy is amazing. And I, I greatly appreciate this opportunity, man. And again, so excited to see Suede and, and yourself grow. And I think it's a really powerful thing that you're doing. So, so thank you for allowing me to be here today. Thank you, man. I'm really happy Corey connected with us. And ditto, it's, it's been a pleasure getting to meet you. We vibe well and best of luck to you and, and Marload. So thanks for, thanks thanks. So much for yeah, having, have, uh, coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Greatly appreciate you.